0: Just be you know alcoholism or uh you know, <laughs> aliens <laughs> thank you for
1: validating my my weird thoughts thank you just going appreciate that Ooh,
2: bad height
1: Welcome to American Soccer Analysis. I'm your host, <laughs> Harrison Crowe, uh, joined with Sean, as always. And this time, we got a wonderful guest, Wendy Thomas. You have chosen to bestow your grace upon us. Uh, thank you so much. As uh, I already said, thank you. I'm not going to say thank you anymore. I'm a, I'm a really yeah, nice person. You
2: don't, you don't want to appear overly grateful.
1: Right. Like, the
2: pleasure is all mine being here, you guys.
1: Well, cool. Yeah. Like there, there's certain, there's a certain line that you just become off either creepy or really desperate. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it, I, I walk it every day. So
2: <laughs> just in your life, yeah, just day to day activities.
1: Yeah. I, I, I know that line. I like, we, we visit each other. Um, yeah. So when we were talking last week about stuff, I started having some ideas and start playing with, we want to get more people, People on this podcast that, you know, aren't Sean and I and just arguing with each other on and on about the same uh, L.A. or Seattle stuff um, and and warn you there are going to be L.A. questions. Uh, But with MLS on a break, uh, you are a fantastic choice as you have written many, many words for American dot com concerning the U.S. men's national team.
2: Yes, I have written many words um, verbs, adjectives, and nouns uh, involving the U.S. Men's National Team for American Soccer now, and I've written extensively, obviously, about the LA Galaxy for Corner of the Galaxy.
0: Have what about Jarens? You- what about Jerrins?
2: Jarens and yeah, Jerens, Split infinitives. I mean, I've done everything.
1: <laughs> oh, this is this better not become a, a word Nazi uh, podcast. That, that that puts me in a really. Really bad spot. The only uh,
2: podcast, by the way, more nerdy than a soccer analytics product podcast would be a grammar podcast. <laughs>
1: uh, so, Columbia versus U.S., not so good. Yeah. Or, or, uh, or everybody kind of keeps saying, like, not so good. I don't, I didn't think it was terrible.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if we're going to first jump to Copa. My, I was certainly not shocked or appalled by the result. It was nothing other than what I was expecting. So, um, you know, I think that the response that you see on message boards typifies a lot of the typical, you know, responses that um, fans always provide. However, I, you know, I would always, you know request that people distinguish between um, our performance against, for example, Jamaica last year in the Gold Cup versus playing Colombia, which is, in fact, one of the very best teams in the world. And I, the fact that we lost to Colombia was, was absolutely what I was expecting. Um, obviously there's that part of you, which is like, well, maybe there's a chance, you know, there's always a chance, (laughs) but I wasn't, I wasn't astonished or astounded by it. I was, it was absolutely, um, completely, um, anticipated outcome from my perspective.
1: Sean, what are, what are some of your thoughts, uh, about the game as a whole? Like were you, obviously you probably weren't shocked, but did you feel like this the knee-jerk reaction and the atypical result-based analysis kind of sums up uh, pretty well what this game was about, or do you you have some uh, anti-Sean feelings? I wasn't expecting to beat Columbia at their best, but this wasn't Columbia at their best. And I think
0: in this game where Columbia didn't score any goals in the run-of-play, where they didn't create that many chances from the run-of-play, honestly, this was a game where maybe a more attacking U.S. side could have created more chances, maybe had a better shot. I still want to favor them in any game against Columbia, but I wouldn't say this was the best lineup to go out there and say to to have a shot against Columbia. And ultimately, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get the best chance you can, even if it is under 50%. But,
2: but, does, she- the fact, but does the fact that they did not create chances from the run and play indicate that our defensive line did a pretty solid job of, you know, defending because, you know, if this was a reverse, if this position was reversed and we had scored two goals off of two set pieces, I guarantee you there would be people saying, oh, it was off of set pieces, though, that it wasn't really creative, you know, what, you know, not really creating anything dynamic if you're scoring off of set pieces. And so couldn't you say the same thing about Columbia that they scored off of two set pieces and, you know, they did not really create anything from the run of play. And maybe that was because we were defending well.
1: No, I, yeah, I, I think so that's ahead definitely ahead. part. I think that's definitely part of it. I, I think, uh, Sean, I think even though this, I, this lineup, I, I don't think was ideal by any, by any respect, but at the same time, I, I think Wendy kind of hit it right on the nose when it says, you know, hey, we did a pretty good job. I mean okay so there wasn't a lot of block shots necessarily but i don't feel like we really gave them access to the areas of the pitch that they really wanted i felt like deandre yedlin had a really good game you know we're gonna talk about that here in a sec john brooks had a great uh game cameron had a good game uh cameron with the one moment where he uh, quote unquote gets picked um you know yeah you could say a lot of things individually about uh the defense having it spotty situations with the with with the set piece there on the corner. But, I mean, realistically, that was a... I mean, give a second, and um, Camry comes around and blocks that shot. That wasn't exactly... That was an amazing finish. Let, let's not take anything away from that. And on top of it, you know, it's not as if they had a lot of really great shots. They took a lot of shots from outside the box, too. Yeah, they
0: did not look good, and I will say, uh, the U.S. defense, as much as clintman has... Tinkered with it and played outside backs as the, as center backs and center backs as outside backs and you know all this stuff. We've always had talent there. It's they just Klinsmann is now finally gotten to a point where he needs to play them all at once. And I so to me it's not surprising that this is a good back line. I've never, as much as people have disliked Brooks in the past, um, when you look at his record in Germany, it's very strong. Um, always been a Jeff Cameron fan, always been a Beesler fan, um, Birnbaum fan. I think this is a very strong back line. I think the emergence of Yedlin um, really nails everything back. And as much as everyone wants to complain about left back, um, you know, Fabian Johnson, as much as he's our best attacking player, he's been a very adequate left back for us in the past. So I wasn't so much surprised by how well we did in that department. I don't think there's much, been much improvement if you were to compare it to maybe – the Bob Bradley days, but it's definitely, you know, a strong back line. So that's something I would expect.
2: Now, if you want to talk about where we possibly could improve, then I would say definitely the midfield and the front line. Um, I mean, it we're hampered by the fact that we're playing a center forward who's not a center forward and two wingers who aren't wingers. But that has everything to do with your player pool and who you have, you know, access to. And, and essentially our... Um, only our, our best striker right now is playing in the second division in Germany, so that's who we were going up against, and you know against a team where Radamel Falcao doesn't even make the the twenty three best players. He he doesn't even make it onto that squad, you know. And so, who do you how do you change it up so that we have more of an attacking or less anemic, you know, from the attacking. Final third.
1: Well, I mean, you can say that there there are you could definitely move Fabian Johnson going and losing your top left back because that's what Fabian Johnson is, is our top left back and moving him and having him become our top left winger. There's there's a greater jump there, in my opinion, than having him play out wide in Bobby and replacing Bobby Wood. And then going and using someone like uh, Vilfania. And, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and throw that out for the sake because everybody throws it out. That's just the convenient uh, player pool. Or if- <laughs> I don't know why I didn't expect that. I should have. But, uh, you know, even if you, you want to throw out another name that's 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 on this list, um, I, Edgar Castillo or uh, whoever else, uh, even Roscoe, I don't feel like the drop is that Significant as much as Fabian Johnson just makes this attack so much more dangerous when he gets up front, and that that would be my one disagreement with you.
0: Well, I mean, when we're moving well, like uh, the player, the offensive player of the game against Portugal in the World Cup was Fabian Johnson as our right back. So, I mean, he's not super in an ideal attack. He shouldn't be that hindered by it. Um, I think the problem continues to be. in the midfield, because I, I would disagree that at, while Dempsey's not a, a necessarily a hold-up striker, he is a, I mean, if you look how he played with Obafemi Martins um, the last few years, he, you know, he yes, he drops into the hole, but he he also does a lot of hold-up play. He does a lot of different things that I think would complement Bobby Wood really well. I just don't think that they're being fed enough, and I think, um, I tweeted this the other day, if you look at the player pool in terms of chance creation, if you look at, the midfield that we put out the, the middle three that we put out and you look at key passes and assists um so you have michael bradley this year is at 1.5 per game but doya in france was at 1.31 um then you have jones at 1.47 so these guys are in the ones mm. guys not called up sasha Kleschen 4.73 benny failhaber 2.13 and then you have uh there's drop off but the guy after that, you can look at Nagby, who's on the bench, is at 1.75.
1: Yeah, but Nagby's played, played out in the wing this year. I, I, You know, I thought about that afterwards. He had a much higher uh, key pass uh, creation numbers last year when he would started playing in the middle. So that's a little bit of a misnomer. Well, then he should definitely be – I mean, then he but should then be he starting.
2: Should definitely, you're saying he should be definitely starting.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. if you're if you're gonna have me pick three players be out there, yes.
2: So you who, of, who who do you lose from the midfield? Assuming okay, and you
1: Bedoya. have to okay, that, like that that does it, Like I don't even think about that. That's Bedoya. Yeah,
2: think, and then where do you move them? How do you move them? Who who is who's the defensive midfielder? Who's is you putting Darlington up? towards as like the number ten and pulling Bradley back to be a D mid. Yeah. And Jones sue
1: do... Yeah, he's, he, Jones does what Jones does.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Run around and yell at people. <laughs> give he, directions. Give directions. Shuttle back and forth and give directions to other players.
1: Just chase the ball. He plays six-year-old soccer. My son plays a position better than Jermaine Jones. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to be overly critical of Jermaine Jones. I, I actually thought he had a pretty decent game. Um, and, and I think overall he's been decent for Colorado. I don't think he's necessarily been this revolutionary <laughs> piece uh, for them that everybody uh, wants to think. But at the same time, I do think that he is um, quite a significant impact player. I think he definitely changes the shape and, and challenges uh, other midfields. And I think that he'd do that for any uh, just about any nation. I, I think there's probably about 10 the top 10 outside of them he probably doesn't make a significant impact on and I think that for ours, he should still probably be starting with what he's been shown
2: do you think that had we rolled out a lineup where you you know move up Fabian Johnson and then drop in someone else at left back and start Darlington instead of um, Bedoya do you think we would have fared better against Columbia given the fact that there are you know a number. Of are teams. you coming on my podcast or am I coming on yours? <laughs> well, no. I, this is this is a dialogue. I can ask questions. There's a number of players who, um, you know, essentially are starters for teams like Juventus and Inter and Milan and stuff like that. Do you think we would have fared better?
1: No, I, I absolutely. Can you, I interject here? No, one second, Sean. I gotta. I, I, I have. I have. Don't let's get not. on the
2: floor, that, okay? Dale
1: Harrison's thought train. That's dangerous. People die. Um, I think that with this lineup as is, no changes, we had a shot to win. And and I sincerely believe that based off of the results. There are two specific occasions which um, Dempsey could have very easily just the ball had more curve. He scores two goals in that game, maybe three that Handballs not called because you know what? Let's uh, handballs and penalty kicks are anarchy and chaos, and we draw a different referee or the referee sees something different and just a different fraction. That could go either way. This is a team just not looking at the results. Don't tell me it's two nothing. You know, there's a lot of people that will say, "Well, we lost two nothing." It's not about that. The shots that we created were very competitive with what the, our opponents put up, regardless of whether they play for enter, regardless of whether they, what team they have on their shirt the rest of the year. We were competitive. Yeah, and I know. That's, I think that's we my did, sincere belief.
2: I think we outperformed based on what we have available to us. I really do. I don't think that we did that badly. That's why when I, you know, it's not disheartening, really, because I completely expect it from soccer fans. Right. But, but I mean... When I hear people like, "Oh, we lost," I'm like, "Do you watch any of these players who play for right. play for their? Do you know when, that they when have?" Carlos won, Baca misses the that grid?
1: shot. I know in highlights they're me? "Nothing <laughs> go, went right for them."
2: Did you guys watch the World Cup? Did you catch any of that where Colombia was yay close to knocking Brazil out on home turf? I was just like. God, it's a Columbia is a very talented team, not just moderately talented. They're probably one of the best teams in South America, which means they're one of the best teams in the world. They have a boatload of talent. And so essentially, you know, going up and coming pretty close and losing on a couple of set pieces. I, you know, I wasn't even upset really about the outcome. I wasn't I really wasn't even like like, oh, no, I was like, oh, all right. You know,
1: <laughs> So, <laughs> <really was>. so <laughs> let's let's turn this boat around. And let's ask you. Who do you put at striker instead of Clint Dempsey? Well,
2: I mean, the thing is that, once again, I would draw this back to the issue of player pool. And with Josie, it's, it's so patently obvious that when, you know, Josie's hamstrings go down, which is, you know, no shock, that we really don't have a deep pool of striker talent. That's why I'm saying that you... Clint Dempsey is and he was our most creative player on the day playing against Columbia. He was any kind of dynamism that emanated from the United States national team during that game came from Clint Dempsey. He was the only thing that was generating things that were interesting, or you know, little things where you're like, oh, that could turn into that could turn into something. There's something potential there. And so when that's the case, when your only creative force is Clint Dempsey, I mean, who are the other strikers that we could possibly use? Jesse Zardis, Sean and I have talked about this. Jesse <laughs> Zardis not creative. Well, not, not creative.
1: only that, not only that, he didn't pull the trigger once. Not once. He had multiple he opportunities. He doesn't shoot a lot. He doesn't shoot a lot. I will say that he,
0: his hold-up play on the wing was, was actually fairly good uh, yeah. in that game. I was, I was, um, that's one aspect of his game. Um, he is slowly evolving into a serviceable nine, um, a very one-dimensional, but serviceable nine, which is, you know, good. Um, I, it hasn't been thrown out there yet, but I still think Wando is uh, on an yeah. international level.
2: Come on! Don't, don't, Wendy. Wendy, this
1: is home turf. (laughs) You're, you're, you're you're cool. We like you a lot. We'll go down this road. You just, 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 just don't play this card, all right?
2: I'm, I'm from the Bay Area. Okay. Hello. I was born and raised in the Bay Area. Wandelowski performing for the national team, putting aside the 2013 Gold Cup, and okay, which was which was, by the way, three years ago, okay, when we were playing, I know that he did really, really well when we were we were playing against Trinidad and Tobago, right. but putting that aside, he has not performed well in playing for the United States national team. And I'm trying to talk about dynamic creative players, okay? I honestly think that the most dynamism you're going to create from our forward line would come from someone like Christian Pulisic, but he's way too young to be a starter. I think that he's just not. I I can't imagine. I can't fathom putting him in as a starter against in a game like Costa Rica, which is going to be brutal. No.
0: It, Why are it, we it talking is. about creativity from the forward? So I mean, the midfield it has to be responsible well, for creating those shots. I mean, we saw this. We see this. Flan Bruce Arena thinking too. Uh, just to quickly hop in the galaxy for a second, when we saw. Sure. Bruce thinking that, you know, as long as Gio's on the field, I can have a, a lineup of Lorenowitz, De Jong, Baggio, and Leggette in the midfield. And, you know, and what did we see? We saw one shot from that game. Um, well, I agree. That,
2: was... I think Darlington Nagby is the choice for, for, for midfield. I, I agree with you guys completely on that. I think he's the most creative midfielder on um, the roster right now. I mean, whether that says something good or bad about our roster, he is definitely. What about the pool? The pool. I mean, our our pool is really weak. So I mean, I there's nothing we can. But you have to work with what you have. And I mean, I think Darlington is a really creative and dynamic player. I think that he's, you know, I like. I really like watching him play. I think. I mean, I've really enjoyed watching him sort of uh, with the national team. I think that he's been, he's been positive. He, you know, I mean, I saw the love that scissor kick goal. Uh, it was, you know, he's he's been great. I really like him. So, so I think I think he's the answer for the midfield.
1: So shifting uh, back to Dempsey real fast, I, I really I think a lot of the talk surrounding him, uh, I, I'm really surprised. Like I, I really wish I could read uh, Mike. I think it was either Michael Kaler or Michael Goodman. But one of one of the Mikes. Uh, you know, it's hard to distinguish. One has a dog. One has a kid. Uh, same difference. Uh, <laughs> He wrote an article about Dempsey, and I'm really mad because it's behind an ESPN paywall. And from the sounds of it, it just kind of emanates some negativity. And I really, really, really want to read that. No,
2: right. I, I I think that people who were criticizing Dempsey just weren't watching or following or anything well, like that. I mean, I think
1: I think that there's valid and Sean brought this up. I think that the 4-3-3 and putting Dempsey in it is going to hamper is going to create holes within your 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 tactics. It, it obviously is. There's going to be some uh some swiss cheese effect that you're going to create holes whether that's on your fullbacks to create width or whether that's, you know, um just some problems there in midfield um, with him going dropping back so far that, you know, Michael Bradley doesn't know what to do. And we'll get to that in a second. I know. I
2: mean, that's the thing is that he had to drop back into the midfield to pick up the ball. And that's always that's, – that's the problem with service. That means your midfield isn't delivering service.
1: Well, it's, it, it, it's his style. It's his style. he does it for Seattle, he's done it, he did it for Fulham when he played up top. He's always done it. And and that's just him. I think that's why and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, you'd prefer a four four two, is that correct?
0: Uh I mean yeah, I mean you can do this four three three. Um I think a Dempsey Wood four four two makes uh, a lot of sense just in terms of defensive blocking. Like if you want if you have a 433, 3 Dempsey, you're, you're asking a lot. You cannot play him anywhere but Saren forward because if, um, you know, unless you're Ziggy Schmidt, it, uh, you know, there's not a lot of managers who would just put Dempsey at whatever age he's at now and whatever lack of running he's doing these days, put him on the <laughs> wing and say, we need Cheetah to uh, really press that line. We need <laughs> to do a high press. It just high doesn't press. work. Right, like, um, when we played, um, was it... Uh, when we played in Holland, when we did the four-three-three, we did that low block four-three-three. when we gave up like 30 shots. It just doesn't make sense to have a three-man field. Hey, midfield. we won and that game and everyone was excited. Yeah, and Timmy Chandler uh, had a 25% defensive usage than everyone complained about. Um, yeah, I'm, I think that If you're going to do the 4-3-3, it's best to do with energetic people who are going to press high. Um, And ultimately, I think the 4-3-3 is a lot more complicated. And, you know, it's more tactically nuanced. So, in my opinion, you have to have a smarter manager to run it. And um, just U.S. player-wise, I don't think we're there. I don't think we're there to run a 4-3-3. And so, for me, just stick with the basic 4-4-2, which is very hard to mess up. You know, you
2: know what Bruce Arena would say. He would say formations don't matter.
0: Oh, well, right, I, but I, which I, is I, why he he had
1: never deviates from the four four two. Mhm.
2: He loves the four four two.
1: Hey, don't don't get me started on formations don't matter. I actually kind of like that idea. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I I'm I subscribe to the theory of you put players in the in, in the in the areas of the pitch in which they they'll excel, and you don't worry about what you call it. Um. Oh. I I, str- I strongly believe that's that's true. Whether you, I think that you have to have certain players in other positions to make them successful in those in those areas of the pitch, but that's a different that, yeah.
0: You just described system versus formation, but you can't have a, a right. system without a formation. So like, oh. the, this is why I hate this when people split this hair. It's like you can't just throw out. I'm playing – my formation is 11, and, like, no one knows if they're the goalkeeper or the – like, everything is founded upon. I'm a center back, so – but my role as a center back in this system is blank because if you don't even know if you're a center back, then you don't even have a fundamental concept of what you're doing.
1: Well, I mean, if you – yeah, if you – say your role is center back and you're to be on the back line and you know there's you and a partner and you work hand in hand I don't think you have to necessarily have a lot more information um right I, now there's
0: center backs who like Rafa Marquez who step forwards and long balls or center back well, yeah there's a lot of different roles you can have in different formations but like when people say formations don't matter it I don't think they realize what they're saying because to me it's ludicrous
2: Sean, do you think that we could have won the Columbia game had we deployed a different formation? Or do you think that we sort of, you know, started the best 11 that we could given what we had?
0: I mean, I, I would have played more dynamic attack. I think I mean, you can win any game, <laughs> uh, really. Well, so
2: I mean, yes, anyone can always win. I don't
0: think, right, I don't, any think, right, any I don't given think we have line up that maximized... Um, that would maximize chances on goal. I think we put up, we put out a, a lineup that did very well of containing a Columbia of the
1: Columbia attack.
2: Mm. I think it's yeah, pretty apt, pretty fair.
1: So let's play the, uh, the superlative game.
2: All
1: mm-hmm. All right. So we talk about words, and this bit, <laughs> the only thing nerdier than an analytics podcast is
2: and a grammar podcast.
1: Grammar podcast. Uh huh. Let's play this. Yeah, it, would be a,
2: it would be a syntax podcast. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> We're gonna do word choice. All right, I'm I'm great with word games. So what,
1: and and I thought you might be. That was that was a hunch I, I took. Tell me, what is Jeff Cameron in what in one word?
2: What is Jeff Cameron? Um, quarterback. <laughs> Is I think he's very effective in the air, and I think he's probably I I actually really liked him paired with Brooks. So I did not have any problems with the CBs during this game. By the way, I, I thought they were both fine. So yeah, Ramrod.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is great. This is great. I'm keeping this for the future. I'm, I'm gonna play this Perler game more often. This is great. Uh DeAndre Gedlin. Uh forget the handball, which I, I really honestly again, I think it could go either way. I thought he was really good. And maybe that's just my Seattle showing. I don't know. I thought he was really good. What, what what do you think, Sean?
0: Uh there there are a couple instances where he was caught out of position, but the thing about that is he's got the recovery speed that usually it doesn't matter when he's caught out of position. Yeah, I think he, he got forward more than Johnson. Um Uh, That might be because he was covering someone that was less effective. But yeah, he's definitely um, given us uh, more width from the fullback position. I think uh, I'm very thrilled that he's finally um, developing as a right back because he has a lot of potential there.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, he defensively, um, you know, under uh, Big Sam, he has done much better for Sunderland than he ever did for uh, Seattle. And I'm not I'm not, you know, diminishing his career in Seattle. But I mean, if he has real strengths as a fullback for I mean, he it's very difficult to dispossess him. I mean, he's I think that some of his possession numbers um, are some of the best for fullbacks in the EPL. He's 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 turning into a, a quite decent fullback.
1: No, I, I, I very much agree. And one specific moment uh, kind of stuck in my head was when he made that amazing block. Uh, with his hand?
0: With his hand, that one? No, no,
1: <laughs> no. Uh, where he, he he slid almost sideways on the player. Clean block, got all ball, didn't touch the player, but it, it was a dangerous um, tackle. A year ago, 18 months ago, he, he not only can he not do it, but he he doesn't even try it, and that for me showed some significant improvement that he was willing a to try it, and that b he marvelously pulled it off because that was likely a goal. Uh, it was a, he he had a good percentage of the goal mouth open to him. It was a high percentage shot, and he comes in from uh from really a really bad position and pulled it off marvelously. And it's not something I want him to continue to do, but it, it definitely stuck out in my mind and and I definitely watched him. And and Wendy, I think you hit it right on the, right on the head. I really thought his possession game was really strong. There was one key moment that he got, um, he turned the ball over, but again, that that quick recovery speed. It just, it it even shows against a team like Columbia that has 11 fast guys. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So, um, the one thing that really stuck out to me as a negative, and, um, I don't, I don't know if you guys subscribe to the Jermaine Jones idea that, um, that this, this kind of trio was thrown off center by having someone kind of mark out, uh, Rodriguez throughout the game or, what it, man Bradley was bad I it mean was not,
2: it wasn't a good game for Bradley
1: like I don't I don't think like I don't want to even use not good I want to say bad like that's that's how definitively I felt about it like he I just he, some of his errant passes I, I even I was thinking man I would never do that on FIFA
2: <laughs> but what I mean what is our option I mean he's the captain of the team it's not like Klinsman can bench him
1: can't we <laughs> I, you know I know that that's crazy. I know that's cra- I know that's crazy and I don't want to I don't want to go Eric Winaldo on everybody all right so uh but he said it and I thought about it for a second and I thought you know what he hasn't been good I, he's been good for the U.S. on multiple occasions since but overall I think he's not I don't think he's the best defensive midfielder in mls and well, he should
2: Long be the best defensive midfielder in mls but i don't think that we're gonna be able to recruit him
1: well yeah <laughs> o- o- ozzy's firmly been stuck in uh no <laughs> <laughs> eh, well you know well
0: no i, I mean it, it's actually not up to it's actually up to cuba right but would have to sign up on it right. Ozzy wants to
1: Yes, Ozzy's wanted it for many years, and, and the U.S. has gone through this, but that's that's neither here nor there. But Bradley, in itself, in himself, has not been good. Like, he's made silly mistakes, and I've seen people kind of blame, quasi-blame his move to MLS, and, you know, I don't want to – I feel like that's lazy, but part of me is like, you know what? Maybe he's just not being challenged enough. Maybe yeah, he is. I don't
2: think it's lazy. I think it's accurate. I think that he has stepped – I think his game has, has – fallen off a cliff since he, came back, since he came back from Europe. I mean, you don't you think that when he was playing for Bruce Borussia Mönchengladbach um, or, you know, when he was playing for even for Aston Villa or something like that, that he was much better? I think he was.
1: Oh, I think he was better sitting on Roma's bench. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, and I sincerely believe that. The, even though he wasn't getting the minutes, and I don't subscribe to this whole, well, he plays harder in practice because he's playing against world-class talent. I don't know what it was. But in Roma, at least he looked like he have, was put together every single time he came in. Since he, since the U.S., since he's come back to MLS, I've, re- I really am thoroughly unimpressed with his game. Can I Like I you? really thought that he, I'd be blown away with him in Toronto, and I'm not.
0: Can I interject? Because I think this is absolutely. Ki- this kind of boils down to I think a lot of people don't understand what Michael Bradley is as a player. So
2: well, Michael Bradley, you should, you should tell us and fill us in.
0: I will. I've written.
1: I I actually wrote quite a bit on this topic. Wendy, you say the things I think in my head that I never want to say out loud.
2: Oh, well, Sean and I have a certain rapport, so I I feel at liberty that I can say these sorts of things to Sean. Go ahead, Sean. Go ahead, Sean.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Michael Bradley has played the most long balls of any MLS tournament this year, and the second most accurate long balls. He would have the first, but Pierlo's long ball numbers are ridiculous. Um, (laughs) But here's what he's not with those long balls. He's not a chance creator, right? So he's not a regista. Um, You know, when you look at Pirlo, Pirlo creates um, 10% of his long balls are key passes. Um, You know, uh, he's definitely not a question uh, who's 37% or even a Valeri who's 26%, right? He's at 4%. Okay, that's just not the type of player he is. Um, But but I'm going to oversimplify a bit. Michael is essentially a better version of Will Trapp. He's tidy on the ball. He's well-balanced in pass usage, defensive
1: usage, but isn't a true DM or really a true attacking mid. That's exactly what I think he is. That's exactly what I want him to be. And that's exactly what he was horrible at last uh, well, no, well, Friday night.
0: Well, why? Because he was playing as a defensive midfielder. And what has he been playing as in Toronto? A defensive midfielder. Okay. What was okay. he playing in Roma? He was not playing a defensive midfield. What was that, he playing in Kievo? He was not playing a
1: defensive midfield. All right, that's what fair. He but doing? here's He's the thing. paired
0: it's with the- people that make that. Okay. So if you look at the peak Bradley uh, era for all of the teams, this is including um, how uh, when, include basically 0-9 to '11 uh, for the national team. And if you look just at the national team, when he sort of rose to prominence as a big contributor for the national team, he was always paired with a either a or a Clark or you know someone to anchor. So he this just, whole idea yeah. that he's a natural that he's a natural six, it's kind of new, and I don't know where people get it. And he's not that great at it in Toronto, and I think that's sort of why. But just like Will Trapp it's people don't ever complain about Will Trapp right? You know, they sort of just know what they're going to get from him. Um, he's he's you know he's going to send those long balls, they're not gonna be creative, but they're going to catalyze attacks down the line. But you have to have a Tony Chani or someone uh, you know next to him to sort of balance him out. And he's better than Trap in the sense that, you know, he's receives the ball better, um, uh, in terms of body positioning to buy himself more time. He's more technical with the ball. Um, and he's a goal threat going forward. So he is a very good player. And I think people all the expectations I've built around him are built sort of around a an idea that he's something that he's not. Like he's not going to be the ten that Jurgen wants him to be. And when 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 people say that him and the six in this new role, that's not really him either. I think we need a defensive midfielder behind him, and I think he'd be much better where Jones is right now.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm I, I like the Jones and him pairing. I really do the my my real issue isn't the fact that you know he's not chasing down and winning every ball like i have no problem that he does that he misses some tackles my biggest qualm is the amount of dispossession that he had because he is very technical he's very strong on the ball a lot of times and he makes good short passes he keeps the ball moving forward and yeah and when he does find long passes he, most of the time, he connects them. He's not just booting it clearly up the field to boot up the field, but he did that multiple times. He just cleared it up the field to either a bad situation or he gave a, a really simple giveaway, a really small pass that he had someone in front of him under no pressure. It was really mind-boggling. Like it just it wasn't typical Bradley. I totally get what you're saying, and and, and there are things that I expect. Uh, over and above Bradley because it is Bradley and and we all have really high expectations for him he's been in this system for years and, and he's been he's always been better than what than what we make him out to be but he's never quite quenched those expectations at the same time um I I feel like last uh the last game he just wasn't the typical Bradley for those things that he's good at that's
0: a convention because of one game, though. No, I mean, he just, I mean, if you look at the Bolivia game, he, he was fantastic.
1: That's fair. I, that's or the fair. game before that, I, I, uh, just ask, I'm just asking, does he? I, you know, I, I think that it's worth a, a, just asking the question based off of his last two years, not off one game, but off of two years. And I think you put it, I think you put it brilliantly in the, in the effect of that. He's just playing two different positions. He hasn't quite, uh, that he doesn't quite necessarily suit.
2: Well, yeah, then like, It's also a question of usage. I mean, you have to lay something at the, the feet of the coaches who are managing him. I mean, if, uh, you know, Klinsman and uh, Greg Manny, is that right? In Toronto, yes. um, the, you know, if they're not using him appropriately, then, you know, part of that is on them. They need to assess their talent.
1: Well, Greg Vanny still has a job because Toronto didn't want to fire like the fifth coach in three <laughs> I
2: know they have. So
1: but I mean, that's the only long reason. Long. Greg. I mean, I don't want to be hypercritical of Greg Vanny. You know, I'm sure he's a swell guy. You know, he has a family to feed. Uh, but look, dude, the guy doesn't look like he or doesn't seemingly, you know, ooze. Uh, you know, like he knows what he's doing. Like, I, I think he does a really good job of probably uh, getting all the personalities to work together and I think that's probably a big thing especially up there in Toronto but he doesn't I, I, I it's kind of like how you talked about in one of your articles uh, he doesn't have to have all the tactical wisdom he just has to be able to put things together and put people it, you know it on the field and say hey you're my tactic specialist tell me how I need to arrange the dice right well,
2: the point of, I mean the whole point of that article is because it's Uh, You know, one, I have a background in law and uh, business, and it's always surprising to me when I hear people comment on U.S. soccer and MLS because so many of the business practices and corporate governance issues would not be an issue if it was raised in a different industry. If we were talking about an airline or if this was a, a retail chain or something like that, you know, there would be, you know, they would bring in like a consulting company like McKinsey. I have a, I had used to have a roommate who worked for McKinsey, which is a major consulting company that dis- discusses management issues and to me like when I look at U.S. soccer I'm like there are so many issues here related to you know a failure to implement best practices and management and and one of them which was seems sort of really obvious to me was that Klinsman is tasked with these two huge jobs and yet he's only really good at one of them and yet He's, he is really good at one of them. So why would you have him doing both? Why wouldn't you just have someone and have, allow him to delegate, if necessary, his responsibilities to someone who is a tactician? I don't but, even understand why in another industry this would be such a, a no-brainer.
1: I think that you, you summed it up within the article really well, though, and you kind of answered your own question there. He, he's coming from an environment to where he doesn't delegate. That's not – he does everything.
2: Yeah, but is that that because he just thrives on assuming the responsibility and because he wants to take ownership of it? Or is that because Gulati handed him this cap and said, hey, this ship's in, you know, I'm sending you off on the boat and go ahead. And he's like, well, I guess I'm just going to assume responsibility for everything. I mean- From my perspective, what I get, this this is totally based on my own subjective experience, having sat very close to Klinsman at a couple of games, is when I watch him coach, he gets really animated. You know, he starts gesticulating really wildly on, on the sidelines, and it really, he projects a sense that he really loves the coaching part of it. And I don't know if I was the technical director of U.S. soccer, if I would just love, like, the logistical nightmare that is, you know, setting up a national scouting system for a country of 300 million people or, you know, trying to organize all the very disparate development academy clubs. And I mean, all the disaster that would be involved in reorganizing U.S. soccer. But I think he loves the coaching part of it. And so I think that it's possible that he might not want the job if he's not the coach. And that's, then there's raises the issue of do you fire him just totally if like for example we don't make it out of the group stages in Copa America do you just give him the boot because we have failed in the gold cup we failed in the Copa America and you know U.S. soccer wants to drop the axe
0: well so. I mean if you look at his success in Germany you know that's the example everyone gives because you know you had Yogi Lowe um, behind him and um, you had Michael Ballack as a captain and there's that famous um instance where uh I think it was this was in um Lam's book where um they had just uh lost a game to I don't remember who, but they hit uh Balak and uh Lowe um sort of confronted uh Klinsman and said uh they didn't like the formation. They were giving up too many goals that they needed to put um another holding midfielder in uh back there. And and uh, Klinsmann sort of conceded because um, he respected those guys. And going forward, Germany then, uh, you know, went on to do very impressive things in that formation and in that system. Uh, there are a lot of examples of that throughout coaching history, where of, of good coaching, you know, pairs. And I think Klinsmann unpaired is a bad coach. And I think we're, we saw that in uh, Bayern, and I think we're seeing that now. And I completely agree. He needs a tactics guy. I I say the same thing about Bruce Arena, so this isn't like a like a huge uh like this is a problem with a lot of coaches, especially in this country. We don't have a lot of Siggy e. Schmidt. Yeah, you know, we don't have a lot of tactical minds in this country. Uh we don't I, I think when we talk about player development, all this stuff, we rarely talk about coaching development. I don't think we have a lot of um we rarely talk about when are we gonna produce a Klopp? When are we gonna yeah. produce a Guardiola and that's far more important to me because those coaches influence Many, many
2: players. I 100%, I 100% agree with you. My major, I always, I'm so like disheartened when I hear people bagging on American players and I'm like, it's really not the American player's fault when they don't have coaching that is the equivalent to what you would find in Belgium, France, Germany. Like, how can you blame a kid who doesn't receive the instruction? I mean, it seems so patently unfair. Well,
1: and I think that comes from That that's kind of the perspective of you know why Jurgen Klinsman, I think wanted people like Jordan Morris to go overseas. I think that's the idea for some of them is to get better coaching, and and I'll I'll definitely uh, concede that point um, that there are better coaches. And and I think you hit it uh, you nailed it again in the article where you kind of said (laughs) who in the U.S. is really able to step up to this situation right now because. You know, yeah, Jason Christ, definitely not. Uh, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what he is. You know, five, ten years down the road, uh, after he's had a, a better job, better opportunity, and and kind of grown and matured as a coach, I don't think he's ready for the for the coaching position just yet. But you know.
2: Well, let's take as a hypothetical what, okay, let's say the United States doesn't get out of the group of Copa America. And let's say Jurgen gets the axe. Who do you guys think is going to, I mean, who would you want to see come in? Who do you want to be the next Tim Code? Cla- that's what I think. I want Jurgen Klopp to be. <laughs>
1: but 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 <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard to say that when he already has buckets of money Liverpool, that were by Liverpool. See, that's when <laughs> that that was in my mind, and I didn't. These are secret no, thoughts that I don't want to escape.
2: Jurgen he'd be the U.S. national team coach.
1: Well, I mean, hey, let's let's think of it this way: if he ha- he was without a job for what six months, I know. How do you not see the? The most significant coaching mind that's out on the market, and not at least—I mean, maybe he did—and and well, who are we to put, you know? Guy, but
2: he's also like he would work well with American players. I could definitely see him working yes. in the United States well. Like that's not something you could say of every foreign coach. I don't—I wouldn't want to bring in Fabio Capello. I wouldn't want to bring right. in, you know, there's tons of coaches that I would say, "Ooh, you're a great coach," not for us. But for Klopp, he would be perfect for us.
1: Yeah, well, he just his eccentric personality, I think, He's really very
2: emotive. Him. Yes, immol- yes.
1: Uh, I, I think there's so many of his attributes that do really uh, mesh well with uh, the American soccer player. I, th- I think you're right on, uh, Sean. Do you have a different a differenting opinion? Um, no, Klopp, I'm a big Klopp fan. So
2: all three of us are nominating Klopp to be the United States national team. I think been gets yeah. fired. But if how?
0: You you're not going to get him, though. I mean, I, I, would also, I would throw Pep over him, obviously, but, you know, you're not going to get him either. Uh, you uh, know, know. We did turn down Biesla um, <laughs> to get Klinsman. Now, I think Biesla is is more than likely a disastrous pick but could be a genius pick just because I don't think he's so... He will play as one system and he will never <clears throat> deviate from it.
2: And, and way, I, don't I think... Sorry, go ahead.
0: I don't think that we have the players that sort of understand space enough to sort of play the system, but I would kind of like players, even if it, if we're going to have a throwaway cycle, you know, like we've essentially been having, I'd rather have an undercoach that's going to be imparting some wisdom on, you know, and having an effect. Because if you look at what Beazlid does if, everywhere he goes, he creates really good coaches out of the players that he coaches. Hmm. And um, he's got this ridiculous coaching tree. And I would – Really like him in the United States, just developing a philosophy and just letting that take root. I think that would be worth, you know, uh, bombing for a cycle in a ridiculous three-one-two, whatever his formation is. That's uh, I feel, I feel like perfect U- formation.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like the U.S. fan culture can accept one bad cycle, like if they know it's coming. I think the biggest thing about Jurgen Klinsmann uh, that, that's been the hardest to swallow is that we've been promised that there that this is that there's going to be this this cultivation period that's going to spawn something and we're never see, like we're constantly promised this but you know and, and I'm gesturing right now that you can't see this um
2: well, we can, I, we probably, I mean, we definitely could have done better in the Gold Cup had we had someone who was more technically and tactically nuanced than Klinsman. But I am not of the opinion, by the way, that if, if it, was, it was up to me, it was up to my druthers, um, that you just get rid of Klinsman from U.S. soccer. I would not advocate that because I do think that he has um, positive attributes to bring to U.S. soccer. I think, I, honestly, I, I don't know if you guys read Rafa Honigstein's book, Um, but yeah, no, it was, it's definitely worth a read and Klinsmann really did contribute, um, hugely to the restructuring of German soccer and he could do something like that in the United States. And he has started to do things like that in the United States. He really has done things from a structural perspective he's so german so good at organizing things i really think that he can help from that perspective i just i mean from but just from the coaching the pure coaching perspective you know we'd be better off with bob bradley as you know someone who's just on the sidelines just coaching games you know i mean really yeah know?
1: but who who's going to like scream and like you know really get it bob bradley's not gonna do that bob bradley would barely raise an eyebrow You're not going to get somebody, like, just kind of – when – the U.S. scores a goal. Jurgen Klinsmann scores a goal. You know what I'm saying? Like he celebrates. Like- I
2: know. It's so sweet. It's so sweet. <laughs> I just think. I just think that it's, it disappoints me when I hear people entirely dismiss someone. Just as it's sort of foolish to entirely embrace everything about them when we win something. You know, because
1: but, like. I, okay, so but at, at the same time, I, I, and I won't deny that you're like I, throwing I the baby no, out
2: of the bathwater.
1: So. In the military, there's always a rule. Don't bring a problem up if you don't have a solution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm breaking that rule. I would totally fire uh, Urine Klinsman, and I wouldn't wait for um, the tournament to be over. And that has nothing to do with Columbia. I just I, – I'm so uh, – like, I, I'm so tired by, you know, whether or not we're going to get uh, a correct uh, starting 11 this week or, or next – and the thing is, while, yeah, you could say hey the, he just hasn 't been paired with the right tactical mind they 've gone through three of them
2: they 've mm-hmm. gone through
1: three different and that really they 've gone through them. two uh two what uh
2: so they've gone assistant through
1: three coaches teams. assistant coaches
2: oh assistant coaches okay. well yeah,
1: but you're not going to get like a a tactical head coach like, uh, he's not going to he he they they've hired assistant coaches to help him. They've done right, but
2: you're But you're saying that, that they haven't brought in anyone who's any good.
1: No, I'm saying they haven't brought anybody that's willing to that that, that can really uh I don't know, uh draw the right X's or draw the right circles. I, I think legitimately, um, Jurgen we've not seen a change in Jurgen Klinsmann regardless of the the assistant coach that he has at his side.
2: Okay, so let's say we fire him tomorrow. Who do you? Well
1: that's a great question. smarter people who than me.
2: You nominate your place in the cap on the next United States national team coach and you put it on who?
1: I, and that's just it. I have no idea.
2: <laughs> okay, good.
1: I, I, it, I have it, a question. I have like, an
2: absentee coach. is going to be, like, a vacancy. You know
1: what? I'm going to tell you right <laughs> now. Michael Bradley could coach that team better.
2: Michael Bradley?
1: I, I Michael Bradley could. You know what? Brad Evans. Call him in. Brad Evans could coach this team better.
2: Okay. Well, as long as we're being realistic. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> I have a question.
0: Because um, when you said that he's done things, positive things, I, I restructuring in U.S. soccer, but... I I I'd sort of like more information on that because when you look at the results level um you know we've failed to qualify for the Olympics twice under him um when but you then, look at But no no, no he
2: doesn't he doesn't choose who the youth youth national team coaches are I mean, he, he's... Right, yeah, he, but if you so look at the development... Andy okay. Herzog, but I mean, like, Richie Williams was the, was hired by Claudia Reyna. He had nothing to do with the U-17
0: Right, team. but if you look at the development of the players, because I'm of the opinion that the problem is that the players of the Olympics aren't playing. They're, like, most of them aren't playing, like, soccer at a at a high level. The last time we qualified yeah. for the Olympics, most of our starters played soccer, and they played in MLS. Now yeah, exactly. they're playing for, like, youth teams, and or, or they're on the bench in Mexico, or they're, you know, it's... We're not creating the system seems to have regressed and maybe it's regression to move forward because eventually those guys will start getting the minutes. But I feel like where we're at player development wise, we're moving backwards. We're not seeing good uh, 20 year olds who are playing positive minutes for their club. So I I would question, what is he doing to change that? So I'd, I'd like your opinion on that.
2: One of the things that I, I, you know, Pointed to is, um, for example, bring in that company Double Pass to do an audit of um, its of US Soccer to see, you know, how how it could improve its development system. That they did that in Belgium, and it was it paid a lot of dividends for them in terms of um, player development. Um, I think that he's done. Well, you know, he's obviously established tons and tons of different positions, managing director for the national team advisory services. And I mean, you know, just like the little things of doing even track, you know, changing the birth year so that there is even uh, birth year players and odd birth year players increasing the potential pool. And like, you know, obviously moving away from pay to play is like a huge thing. And obviously MLS Development Academy clubs have a lot to do with that. But um, i I mean I think that there's been more i would say structural and infrastructure changes in within u s soccer than there were under Bradley or when there there were than there was under arena and I don't know about much like going back to the Samson era, I really don't know like if you're going way way back, but um I mean, there's obviously lots of things we still really, we really need a better scouting system. We really need to get away entirely from pay to play. But um, if we just continued doing some of the things that we have been doing, we would improve our development system so much. And that's, we really do have to do that because our country is just too large. It's too disparate. It's too spread out for us to have just this amalgam of different clubs that are totally unconnected to one another. It doesn't make sense, and so, you know, whether we fire Klinsmann or not, I really don't care. If we just can stay with the changes of like trying to build a sensible infrastructure, I would, that would make me happy. I and mean, I don't care whether Klinsmann goes or stays or whatever. But
0: how long did it take for um, to see dividends from Belgium and uh, in Germany, for instance? Because you know, it's been a while since he's, I mean, you know, I mean, like,
2: it takes like ten years. It takes like a generation.
0: Okay, so we should be starting to see – so at what point would it be fair to say that things are not paying off in the way that we would hope? Three years from now, four years from now?
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. In theory, I think that MLS should be able to turn out players who can play in MLS within the next – like first-team starters in MLS um, on a regular basis the way FC Dallas does. Uh, You know, within five years, there should be teams. We should be churning out players like that, you know, who are like, you know, talented, who can start for MLS teams like that should not be something that's unreasonable and who can who could be, you know, not maybe Liga Liga MX levels, but not far off.
1: So let's let's go ahead and let's turn our attention back to MLS Uh, about five months ago, six months ago. You wrote an open letter to Patrick Vieira. I'd like to know what you think of him now.
2: Oh, NYCFC, huh? Um, yeah. You know. but,
1: but let's, say, let's let's divorce the idea of NYCFC because there's players there that, you know, he didn't have a lot of choice and influence. What What do you think of him as a coach?
2: Well, he actually brought in almost 10 players. He brought in four players on loan. No. At least from, from, um, he brought in a bunch of players on loan from some pretty decent clubs, Boca Juniors, um, I think. And, uh, so, I mean, players that he personally would have selected cause they were brought in after the turn of the year. And we knew before the turn of the year that he was going to be taking over, um,
1: was that think, him or was that identified? Because, I mean, you, you hear a lot of different coaches and, and, and actual general managers, actually, that have been hired three or four months into the process. And, and just speaking with them, they, they've said that they've not had any influences on those specific transactions. Those were already started by the technical director, and he and they chose not to veto them.
2: Well, he was announced uh, at the end of last Season Right. Like essentially Christ was out and he was right. in and that was that was October or something like that. And these were players that were brought in between January and March. So I assume that he would have at least approved of or, you know, consented. Okay. To. Yeah. That being from in. I mean, he's right now. NYCFC is 14th in the standings out of 20 on a points per game basis. So I would say that he's sort of, I guess, outside the bottom quartile. I mean, I don't know, top 75%. That's borderline failing, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and as deeply mediocre, I guess, is that would that be fair?
1: Deeply <laughs> mediocre. Wow.
2: Well, I mean, that's I mean, 14th out of 20th. I don't know. That's points per game. That's where they are. They're, you know, I don't know, 5th or 6th on a points per game basis in the Eastern Conference and the Eastern Conference is you know, not that good. So I don't think that he's a world beater in terms of what he's doing for NYCFC. Um, he's doing pretty mediocre. I mean, is, am I missing something?
1: Um, no, I think it's kind of interesting, some of the different tactics that he's brought. He's revived uh, that uh, a couple of things, but I, I mean, uh, you know, Sean, what— you're you're a little bit more tactic centric than I am, but what do you think of how he's handled the formations and how you you feel he's deployed their 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 talent?
0: Uh, I think he's utilized Pirlo a lot better than Christ ever did. Mm. Um, that being said, Pirlo's had more time to settle down, so uh, there's that. Um, and that what kind of brings
2: benching me- Lampard. What do you think of that?
0: Is, he's been injured. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think the. The problem with judging managers in their first year is that they have very little time to put a structure in place. And as we've seen um, throughout MLS, it generally takes about three years to build a good squad. So, um, you know, that's why I always
1: think you should. No, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not trying. uh, This is total hot take type. Oh,
2: yeah. I'm not saying that. I mean, I wrote the article because I was trying to say it takes it takes a while. It really does. It's not as easy to just jump in and start swimming. And right. it's, it's tough. It's, it's not an easy league to coach in.
1: No, absolutely.
2: Because I actually think that there's an inverse relationship between something like having a salary cap and the difficulty of the coaching. I think that the tighter the rules are regarding finances, that actually the greater a challenge it is for a coach because you're bringing you're essentially bringing together the level of talent you're saying you have. You know, a a much, you have much narrow margin, much more narrow margin in order to demonstrate your coaching ability, you know, which you can't, you know, in the EPL, if you're a major spender, if you're Real Madrid, if you're Barcelona, you can just spend whatever you want, just buy the best players. And in that instance, if you are the coach for Barcelona or Real Madrid, then, you know, you should be, you know, beating Real Betis 8-0 every single (laughs) game, you know, because what why Why wouldn't you if you can spend a thousand times more than the other team? if In MLS, it's much narrower margins. It's a much bigger challenge for coach.
1: So let's turn it towards the hometown team, L.A. Uh, I mean, the quasi uh, not quite first half uh, of the season, as I put it in our liner notes. Because um, yeah, we're, what, 14 games in, 13 games in for them?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: uh, 1.62 points per game. They're sitting fourth. What, what do you what do you see from this team right now?
2: I think they're underperforming. What do you think, Sean?
1: Oh, hot takes. They are. They're, I mean,
2: hot takes. Hot hot takes right here. What do you think,
0: Sean? It, it reminded me a lot like last year, where we're seeing different teams, uh, and and some of the teams are good, some of the teams are bad, and I think, um, it's you know due to Keen going down and international call ups and. You know, uh, Gerard being in and out of the lineup. uh De Jong being in and out of the lineup. We haven't really seen a consistent 11 to sort of judge what the system is going to be. But f- when they were winning games, I, you know, for that period when Keen was gone, Jossie was the 9. Uh,
2: and Gio was playing in Keane's role.
0: Yeah, uh, they looked really good. And, you know, I think if they can somehow, if Bruce works his way back to that or something like that, um, they can be really good. But I think right now... Um, when we're seeing it in the shots and the expected goals and from the pretty much the, uh, SKC game or the Philly game on, um, they've just been bad. And, uh, you know, they got lucky in the Philly game, uh, you know, scoring two goals on four shots. Um, not so lucky, not scoring, uh, that one goal from their one shot, uh, in the last game. I, I'm, I'm, I think, uh, there's a lot of work to be done.
2: So who do you think, Sean? If you are Bruce Arena and you're putting out a starting eleven for the Galaxy, who do you want? Who do you pick for our best starting formation and starting eleven? Uh,
0: I would. Uh, I think the f- it's we still have it all there to do the 2014 uh, system, and I think we saw that this year in the games when Keane was gone and we were uh, you know winning by huge margins. If you have Jossie as sort of like a quasi nine. Um, you have Keane underneath them. Then you put Gio in the winger um, chance creator role, the Donovan the role.
2: Landon, the land role? Okay.
0: Exactly. Uh, then in the midfield, I think Gerard and De Jong is an upgrade over Juninho and Sarvas um, in terms of chance creation, in terms of uh, touches, in terms of uh, defensive actions. I think that's just an upgrade. So, uh, and then, you know, Leggett uh, on the other wing um, – I think is better than Ishizaki I think that's just a better version of 2014 and the back line is probably better too so I think the, that's what I would try um, outside of that you have to get really funky and creative and I think Bruce is for some reason he doesn't want to try it he doesn't think Gio can defend on the wing which is backwards thinking in my opinion because you know neither did Ishizaki but he was fine with that um, Boateng's been terrible at defending on the wing, he's fine with that so, yeah, I would I would try that first because it's really the only sensible way to make it work.
2: With Keno and Gio being on the same team.
0: Right, because they can't be forged together. It just doesn't work. Um, you can't play a 4-3-3 like they've been doing with Jossie, Keane, and Gio because none of them track back. So you're playing a three-man midfield, um, especially <laughs> when, when you put McGee in the midfield over Leggette when everyone in the midfield is over 30. Um, Ugh. It, yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, Ugh. oh my God, we're being outrun in the that
2: midfield. Last were you at the last game, the mid the midweek game? Oh man, was that a nightmare?
1: Can I tell you guys all how much I like Gerard? Like, <laughs> I, I really, year, really, like, I, as
2: I, a I, Seattle fan, you like Gerard so much because he's not good for the LA Galaxy, like that?
1: What? No, he I, yeah, yeah, I think he's been. He great.
2: Has, no. He has been really good. I like, I, I, said, he, I that.
1: really thought coming in, he was going to be absolute garbage and trash. And I thought this it was like, honestly, OK, so Seattle fan aside, like I, I'm a fan of the league, first of all. Yeah. And a good MLS has a good L.A. team. that That's just that's how it works. It's it's fun to hate. Mm-hmm. And, and the same thing goes with having a good Seattle team. It's fun to hate. Right. Uh, I love having going at it. Man, am I impressed by Gerard. Like, I, I thought really, I, I felt like there's going to be so many times I'm just going to be like, dude, this guy is so over the hill. What does he do? Man, I'm just like, wow. No,
2: that, was, that was,
1: that was, oh. so he, I guess this guy has talent. I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
2: This Gerard kid that I've been hearing. Yeah, he, might, about.
1: Have, he might be on to something. He <laughs> might have a career.
2: Yeah, where's this spark plug from? I haven't heard this kid's name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it turns out he's actually a pretty good midfielder when he's not injured.
0: Right. <laughs> Galaxy scouting. They just keep finding these gems.
2: I know. Where did he find them? I don't know. But wait so, a second. This is another pet peeve, Sean. I have to i have to raise this with oh, you. Oh, great. Okay, so you're always writing about, um, you know, talents in South America that you know, cash sensitive teams like Salt Lake and Kansas City that they pay attention to and they do such a good job scouting. But if you are the LA Galaxy and you are AEG and you live, you're in the Los Angeles market, why do you think that it is appropriate, sensible um, for a team to adopt that strategy? Because from my perspective, the way the LA Galaxy does it, even though they don't get the same, what you, what you would characterize as value for dollar in terms of, you know, what the player's output is, for me, what, the way they do it is not at all rational.
0: Well, I think mm-hmm. uh, there are two things here. You could take FC Dallas, put it in LA, and then just replace the DPs with big, uh, you know, with like Ibrahimović's and stuff, you would still get your sellouts. Uh, you know, you would still get um, your huge market, your jersey sales, you'd get everything
1: but you also have these teams that supplement their rosters with great pieces, but don't have any DPs. Right. I, 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 I I side with Sean on this one and and no one tell anybody else. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, especially
0: with utilization of Tam and all these new ways to go out there and get South American talent, you know, like if you look at what Castillo is paid, look at what Diaz is paid, like it's, it's pretty remarkable what Dallas is able to do. Um,
1: and you don't and, think that having like a Mario Diaz like it increases your audience just a little bit? Like there might be the fact that they're bringing in a, a South American in a Latin type market.
0: No, no. This, no is the, this is the there's so much apathy around the Galaxy. 2014 won the best, okay, well you guys opinion, know The best, the best soccer MLS team um, ever. 2014 ever. Galaxy. There were two sellouts that year. Because yeah, everyone was I tired he, of the players.
2: In fact, I think, our, I think our attendance has gone up since Geo came. I mean, that's really what it is. I think he's the big influencer in terms of attendance numbers.
0: Right. If I mean, if you look at AGs, um, how they define success, they would define 2014 as a failure and 2015 as a success because they sold way more jerseys and they had way more sellouts. So I think that's one of the problems uh, with the Galaxy is they're always going to be hampered by that. But that doesn't mean you can't maximize spending under the cap. And they've just never had to because they get so much value over it. And I think that's, to me, I, I would, I think penny pinching in a cap makes you so much more stronger because since everyone is limited, it just makes you, it just gives you even more advantage and it would make them very competitive at the international level. And if you want to talk about they're complaining about scheduling and all this stuff for CCL, you can absolutely win CCL on an MLS budget. I mean, it's not in your favor, but, you can absolutely do it. If you took FC Dallas, put three DPs, like huge DPs on it, that team would be competitive in CCL, very competitive in CCL.
2: See, from my perspective, and I'm just a dirty capitalist, don't mind me, but I mean, if this bringing in players like uh, De Jong, I think, perfectly. I mean, he's expensive. You spend more money, but I think you'll also make more money off of it. And yeah. I don't see that. The, I don't think that there's a lot of defensive midfielders and I mean, if I look around MLS I'm looking at defensive midfielders, I don't know if there's a ton that I would choose in lieu of him. So I don't know why that is a decision that a manager wouldn't make. I mean, he's and yes, he is a big name. Yes, he played in Europe. Yes, he's played in the World Cup, stuff like that. But he is also a good player. And the fact that he's expensive to me is not a deterrent, because if you can manage it under the cap, then why not do it? Yeah, but you're okay, how many
0: jerseys did Mika years. varnon sell? So. How many judges did Mika Varnin sell? None,
2: none, none. And he's not a name and no one had heard of him. And so, and he wasn't that good. So.
0: And he that's was paid a, a lot of money for doing nothing. Yes. And we know after that's
2: we and Yes. And we know that that is a bad decision and that Bruce does that. And he misspends on players that are, you know, from Europe and stuff like that. But in the case of, but he also does, it makes good decisions some of the time. I, do you think Van Damme was a good decision? I do.
0: Well, here's the thing with Bruce. He's going to roll the dice. Uh, he's going to live and die by his veteran decisions. And, you know, in his career, that has paid off for him, and, it, and it's also hurt him. So, like, if you look at him in New York when he brought in Claudia Reina, giant, like, that just bombed. Um, you know, w- when he's brought in, you know, like, uh, I think he had Senna. Uh, he brought in, um, he's brought in, like, Berhalter and Pablo, and he's, he keeps bringing in, like, a Kaisi coach no, too frankly. And, um, you know, he goes out and he goes and finds these players who were good in Europe. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and
2: Do you think that she, he did a good job, you know, springing in Leggett last year? Did that work out?
0: Yeah. but um, I, I think the problem with people's, um, when people throw that out there as, as if they sort of discovered Leggett, like people have been tracking Leggett. Like if you follow youth national teams, we've known about Leggett since he was 14. So that's not like a um a scout um that that's just a to me another established name that would be like if you got mark pelosi
2: no, no no it seems to me like you are um you're giving coaches credit for the ingenuity of finding a player in south america who plays for an obscure team who has talents and therefore can be brought in um for a relatively inexpensive salary because of where he's coming from and where he's coming to, and I'm saying that for a number of large market teams, it is irrelevant whether they get value for the money in terms of, um, you know, whether he is um, a, someone who is, you know, wants to come to the United States and therefore can be brought in cheap and they're getting great value for the buck because they would they would place a much uh, greater premium on bringing in someone who has a name. I mean that there's. actually you said it.
1: You said it yourself, Wendy. Uh, Whenever you're in a situation where you're in a capped financial environment, you have to understand what you're going for and what you're overspending on. Value is always going to be important. It's in some respects. Now right, I so agree like with you to an extent. Seattle, uh, coming from that perspective, I, and, and even looking at New York, um, although New York's really not done it that way. They've they've really kind of conceded a, di- a different route. Uh, but Toronto, yeah, they've spent on these big name players, but it kind of it, inadvertently it, it hurts them because they're not able to spend on the rest of the team.
2: Well, for DPS, it doesn't matter at all, right? Well,
1: DPS, <laughs> it doesn't matter, but. When you're when you talk about going after not just three, but you're talking about going after five or six, then, you know, all of a sudden the rest of your 11 are it, it, it's very uh, it's it, there's there's such disparity within the salary um, that the quality of players also uh, spread.
2: I mean from uh, I and maybe I'm just too business minded but it seems to me like one of the things that a coach has to take into consideration overall is the not just the book value of the team but what the revenue that it generates and if the LA Galaxy generates more revenue by bringing in players who have a notable name and yet they are also perfectly serviceable players You know, as I think DeYoung and Van Damme have both been this season that you can there's you can absolutely monetize that and that monetary value is something you have to incorporate into your assessment of whether you bring in the player. And it seems to me like, you know, to totally put that aside when you're the L.A. Galaxy just doesn't make sense. It's not something that the L.A. Galaxy is ever going to do.
1: I, I agree with you. It's not necessarily about one year that my disagreement is, but it's about multiple years. It's like when the Sounders promised Ozzie multiple years and gave him that three-year contract. Last year, they really had to think hard and even shopped him around before not finding anyone that would really take his salary off of their hands. Um to try to move him, to try to make him work and in the end really kind of messed up their their roster construction in in the process. And now that's not entirely, you know, due to Aussie and that's due to, you know, Martin's kind of jettisoning at, at, at in opportune times. But at the same time, I think LA's doing the same thing with uh De Jong and what he's promised to have uh Gerard spot at, DP spot Next year, yep. to where his contract goes escalates greatly. Well, yep. I mean, going to be a GD. right? And uh, while that's that's, I I will give you that it's a smart way to negotiate, and I absolutely think that it's worth, you know, uh, looking into. I just don't know if his value is worth that. Like I, I'm thinking you need to bring down the age. I think there's somebody that you could have looked at at a younger time that maybe didn't have the name associated but could have easily been a, just as good of a buy.
0: I'd like to clear up something, because I think um, there's a bit of a straw man in terms of my the way I uh, argument that's been thrown up. I don't think that, for instance, De Jong. fine as a signing, because you do have to find the marquee signs for LA at the DP level, because those are the guys who are going to be moving jerseys. When you look at the Dan Kennedys, when you look at the Mika Varnans, when you look at the Stefan Ishizakis, um, when you look at some of these guys that were just completely overpaid, and there are so many to go through. Um, you know, Edson, Buttles, just uh, spending like that. And you look at how much they could be getting on the market. Um, even the fact that they brought in Ima Boateng at 100,000 when they already had, um, you know, Mendiola and Villarreal at minimum salary, or I guess Villarreal's at 90,000 now, at that position. It, it doesn't seem like they're building anything at a youth level that's sustainable that they want to push to the full team, and they're certainly not spending wisely on the undercap players because they know that they shouldn't have to, and they're not going to be punished for it. Because ultimately, well, I, even I, if you,
2: I agree with well, you. In terms of if we're, we're going to talk about underutilizing our academy and our youth prospects, then I'm going to have to agree with you, and I I hate to do that. So.
0: <laughs> but what But what about like the Dan Kennedy's and stuff? Because those are the players that...
2: I agree with you when you wrote that article. I wrote you and it said, I think you're making a good point and I agree with you. What do you... I mean, you're right about that, okay? Dan Kennedy is not a great goalkeeper.
0: But I mean, there and are like others... right now My the point...
2: Galaxy doesn't even have a good goalkeeper. We have like three... We have three goalkeepers who are kind of just under the level of being MLS caliber goalkeepers.
1: Well, yeah, but most of them have good hair.
2: They do have good hair.
0: Well, it's just misappropriation. So um, we have we're spending a lot of money between AJ and Rogers right now, when one of them has to be a backup. Um, so that's misappropriation
1: in my mind. Uh, but part of that is just the increase of the salary cap. You're going to start having those situations to where you have these backup players that are going to be that are going to be a little bit more costly. And I think that having overpaying for a quality backup is something that I don't know a team like Seattle could really afford to have right now. Um, you know when you have such issues within your roster, but that's that's just my personal opinion.
2: And I think also that we're doing a lot of hand wringing ultimately over the LA Galaxy, which I still think is perfectly possible. They could have a really good season.
1: Well, let's 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 put you on there. They're, they're only are, one loss. Are they? Right? Are, where? Do, end of the season. End of the season. Uh-huh. Wendy Thomas. Yeah. Right now, do you believe they will place higher than fourth? Yes. All right, let me take us. Se-
2: and the Western Conference, yes. Yeah.
1: Right now, Miss Wendy Thomas, mm-hmm. do you believe they will reach the MLS Cup Finals?
2: Oh shoot. S- um. CS. Yes. I. CS. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that they will. They'll definitely make the playoffs. I my guess is that we would finish in the Western Conference somewhere around second or third. Second, okay, wow. Yeah, second or third, yeah. Or, and, you know, go beyond the first round, which is what we did last year. I'd love for us to go to the MLS Cup Finals, but in terms of, I mean, I, I don't, you know, and well, in a way, Bruce is correct when he says there's a bit of a crapshoot to it. It's not like you can bet your money. I mean, who 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 predicted Colorado would be knocking out opponents left and right at the beginning of the season? That's who I want to know. Who who predicted the clean sweep of Colorado all the way to the MLS Cup finals? Uh, I, it's, it's just very difficult to predict MLS. That's sort of one of the reasons why it's an extremely interesting league.
1: Will, yeah, will, will, will uh-huh. Zlatan hoist no. No. an MLS Cup tro- final trophy no. in the next two years? No. no.
2: No. Nope. No, I don't think he will.
1: That that's that that makes me sad.
2: I know. It would be fun if he came, but I don't No, think
1: I'm not talking about to LA. I think it'd just be awesome if he was in MLS. Forget no, LA. I, <laughs> no,
2: I don't I don't I think he's going to go to Man U.
1: But
0: so. for, yeah, he, well, he, I think I it's think for a true. year though. He only has a year contract that he's signing with Man U. So Hi. since the question was for 2 years, <laughs> the question is what what's he doing after that one year?
2: I I still I still don't know. Do you uh, think, uh, Sean? Do you think perfect. that do you think that Robbie is going to retire?
0: Um,
1: I I hope so. Because
2: you're a fan, like he that. Might. Oh, I, I wonder.
1: No, I I actually I think I,
0: Bruce I, is. I think Bruce is, and I think if Bruce retires, Robbie might.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, dealing with the new manager. No, I don't think that's up. Uh, like why why would he at that point?
1: All right, so let me let me twist the the last LA conversation uh, or last LA question at you guys. Yeah. Bruce retires. Who do you want managing the LA Galaxy?
2: I want to. I want to know. Shots. Sean's answer to this. Go ahead.
1: I just said Klopp.
2: <laughs> okay, no, okay, this is gonna be our answer though. We want Klopp for the national team coach. We want him to coach the LA Galaxy. Klopp is off the table. We want
1: we Klopp. That's you the can't of have episode. no no
2: no. He's off the table. Sean, who do you want to be the coach of the LA Galaxy?
0: Um, it, it, it's it's really hard. It's I mean it's really hard because there aren't a lot of smart coaches in the U.S. right now that are really super But that's promising. why you
2: get paid the big bucks. I'm asking you a question. You have to answer it.
0: I'm I'm thinking. I'm trying thinking like you. I think when you're paid the big bucks, you, you're not going to make the decision without researching and doing a lot of you know. I think you're not going. To go, oh, let's get this guy. I would definitely look foreign managers. I think that's kind of overblown as long as you have the right structure underneath them to inform what's going on. It's uh, like how the league works. I think maybe um, uh, carries the bagman in, in Kansas city. If he can be lured away. Um, oh, you can't use that. That's bullshit. Why? Because I thought of it the first time I proposed <laughs> it for a mock Philly. It makes total sense because he's hopefully, Presumably, he's absorbed a lot from Peter Vermes. Um, yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, Christ, maybe. Uh, maybe this is a good market for Christ, but I don't know. It's That's a very tough question.
1: Wendy, yeah. can a foreign manager come into this and have Chris Klein really take over and assemble an MLS Cup or even a, a supporter shield winning team?
2: Chris Klein, huh? Um. I think I certainly think that a foreign coach can be successful in MLS. I do think Sean's right. That's overblown. If someone does their homework, there have been plenty of successful foreign. Carl Robinson is from Wales. I mean, Oscar Berea is from Columbia. And yes, they did know MLS before they really got into it. But I mean, uh, Steve Nichol was a successful coach in New England. There's a number of successful foreign coaches, but they really have to commit to learning how to do things here. But the thing is, you know what I would say, the LA Galaxy has of all the teams in MLS, it has a pretty decent superstructure in terms of having a lot of assistant coaches. It has a really well-developed academy. It's true. It has a lot of good academy coaches. It's not like Dave Sarichin doesn't have tons of knowledge that he could impart to anyone they hire. I mean, I mean, Dave has been a coach of an MLS team. It's not right. like it's not like he couldn't give support to any person they hired about the, you know, you know, sort of all the little mechanisms by which you acquire players and all that stuff i mean there's plenty of institutional knowledge within the la galaxy and so actually la would be a good choice to bring in a foreign manager if they got the right person because
0: a lot of the institutional memory or you know institutional you know uh, smart no. that comes up the galaxy is coming from bruce Arena as a gm and yeah. i criticize him as a gm for his um the players he signs, but the way he signs players is genius. Yeah. Um and his knowledge of the rules is Yeah, he he definitely impressive.
1: exploits a lot of mechanisms within the within the structure of the roster rules.
0: So I know. I'm He's way really, more concerned yeah. about who they get to replace as a GM.
1: because um, I yeah, think that, general Manager is super,
0: super important, more important than Coach. so I would agree with that.
2: Is there any way yeah. we can keep Sean Is there any way we get to keep Bruce as GM and then just get a different coach?
0: No. I have no idea. I mean, that's completely up to, you know, Bruce's, you know, what Bruce is willing to do. I mean, that's pure speculation, but I mean, if you he, if he's if he'd be game for that, absolutely. I would love that. Yeah. But I mean, whatever. I mean, we it, it it's hard to penetrate the mind of Bruce Arena and just, you know, really know what he's <laughs> thinking at any given time. It's, it have really have- is.
1: We're gonna have to have an entire podcast based on like the Red Bulls in Toronto because of this podcast. Thanks, um, thanks a lot, Wendy. Oh,
2: sorry. That's so
1: gross. Like, I'm already, ugh, East Coast, ugh, shuddering. Um, yeah. There, Let's do I'm a gonna, fire
0: podcast. Let's do th- a three part fire podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, you know what? There's so many people. You know, we only we only have so many people that listen to us as is. Like, can you imagine those thirty <laughs> listeners stop listening to us now? <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to laugh more than that I'm That's laughing
2: funny. I'm silent I'm smiling I'm <laughs> please smiling.
1: laugh at my jokes
2: I'm smiling uh, vigorously
1: I'll, I'll I edit mean. in laughter it's fine Miss Wendy Thomas thank you so uh, much for joining us uh,
2: it's been my pleasure you guys
1: this has been a, uh, been a blast um, Sean as always it's been good Wendy would you say goodbye for us
2: uh, signing off for um, Harrison and Sean <laughs>
1: sean say goodbye
2: Bye, everyone
1: all right uh kai kamara and see you later we're out of here shut your face high school jerks we're about to show you how this works are we cool laser beams we're up
2: Say, what are you? Some kind of computer? We'll say a cyborg bit from the future, and I'm going deaf for cheesy. I'm feeling a bit.
1: Rock. We're hip hop.